It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Golazo, the Mexican football podcast from Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Bryce Dunn. And joining me, as always, is Manu Vett. Manu, how's your week been? Yeah, busy. Uh, lots of European Champions League previews, Europa League previews, Bundesliga previews, because that kicks off on Friday. So I'm um, really looking forward to talk uh, about something that's not European football today. <laughs> it sounds like you didn't get the best of results or something, but uh, we'll not talk about that. Uh, joining us uh, as well uh, back again is Ollie Duxbury. Ollie, how's your week been? It's been good, thank you. Slightly busy with Mexico football being non-stop with Copper MX tonight and tomorrow, then back at Liga MX this weekend and then with the double game week as well. So um, very Mexican heavy, even more so than usual for this next like week and a half. But still enjoying it? Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, of course. Well, guys, um, obviously you're joining me as uh, normal, but we've got a very special guest today. Um, and uh, I want him to uh, explain exactly what he does, uh, where he is from, though uh, I don't think uh, he's really going to have to. We've got Cesar Hernandez on here. Yeah, thank you for coming on, Cesar. Uh, we really appreciate Appreciate it. Um, if you don't know who he is, get on Twitter or get online. He, he writes plenty of articles, has his own show. And yeah, thank you for coming on. Of course, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, just uh, here in the San Diego area, getting ready to head out, head down to Tijuana later on this week to go watch Cholos versus Santos. But yeah, no, uh, I mean, I guess I mean, mostly just write about. Mexican soccer a little too much, you know. <laughs> you know, I'd, whether I be writing about it or talking about it, I do it for ESPN, four four two, Footmex Nation, Soccer Nation, and I'm also the co-host of the Mexican Soccer Show. Yeah, what a show it is! Uh, very good, and must say the articles and the Twitter information just keep them coming. Uh, we, we we truly do enjoy them, and you know, as we were saying, it's uh, it's a bit of a fun almost community that we have uh, here at Liga MX. Uh, especially if uh, you're online, you know, we can definitely uh, throw a few a uh, few jokes, a better chat, a few questions anytime the games are on and yeah everyone seems to get back with a friendly response but uh, guys we're going to talk uh, about the uh, main topic uh, this week um, not as positive as maybe some of the football that we'll be talking about but a uh, bit of an issue with Rafa Marquez um, here uh, he, he's been accused of being in a, a bit of a, a, a drug issue um, involved with drug cartels um Cesar, you may be at this point uh, a bit sick of uh, talking about it, but um, we can't exactly uh, ignore it. Um, can you explain a little bit what's going on here and how is the uh, reception um, well, across the water from the likes of Ollie and I? Yeah, so last week, unfortunately, uh, there was major news, which is kind of a huge shock to the soccer world, the Mexican soccer world specifically, you know, that the U.S. Treasury Department sanctioned Raul Flores Hernandez. Uh, it was involved, uh, you know, of drug trafficking. And they said that 21 others, including Rafa, uh, were essentially uh, involved in this drug trafficking organization. Uh, it must be noted that these are all allegations and that it looked like uh, there were two men who were specifically uh, working on Rafa's behalf. But obviously, I mean, it's 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 serious. You know, I mean, it's it, this isn't something to be taken lightly. Um, you know, Rafa did come out last week and he did deny connections uh, to this organization. But um, it's going to be interesting to see how this pans out. And like I said, it's it was a it's extremely unfortunate because this is a this is a Mexican soccer icon. This is a you know, he is a he is a well-spoken legend. He was uh, it looked like he was on his uh, he was trying to start a players union in Mexico and he is a 
highly decorated, if not the most decorated Mexican soccer player, uh, you know, in the history of the of Mexican soccer. So it was just it was just unfortunate to see. Uh, but like I said, I mean, it's just all allegations. We'll see what happens. But, you know, we got to take these uh, very seriously, especially if they come from the U.S. Treasury Department. Yeah, definitely a, a shock. I mean, to be honest with all that Rafa Marquez does, um, you know, with the players union uh, and that, it, it's kind of the, the last player I would have expected to be involved in these sort of things. Uh, I mean, Cesar, do, do you think that maybe there's a bit of a mix up? Do you think that he, he has people uh, involved with it, but he doesn't necessarily understand? I mean, likes of uh, different tax issues that you see uh, players get themselves involved with um, all too regularly, unfortunately. But um, I always question just how much they actually know what their accountant's doing. And do you think that there's maybe a bit of that involved with this, that he's maybe agreed to things, but not really understood what he's agreeing to? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to pretend like I know the exact details regarding this situation. I mean, no one really knows the exact details regarding the situation. But, I mean, it did look like uh, two men, like if you look at the, the graph that the U.S. Treasury Department put out, they did specify that two men were working on his behalf. And it did look look like these allegations were essentially saying that, you know, that, uh, Raf, that some of Rafa's organizations were holding uh, assets uh, for those organizations. So I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised if Marquez was. Uh, potentially unaware of what he was getting himself into, or perhaps those two men who were working on his behalf, if they truly knew what they were getting themselves into. But you never know. I mean, like I said, we, you know, I, I like I said, I'm not going to pretend like I know the exact uh, details regarding, like, as if I'm, you know, uh, out there in Guadalajara, uh, you know, fully aware of the situation. But like I said, it's still very serious. But yeah, we, we got to wait to see uh, how this uh, develops. Don't worry, Cesar. We're not accusing you of anything. Okay. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> okay. We, we are recording, but we're not going to send it to you. Uh, Manu, uh, <laughs> Manu uh, well, what, what type of effect do you see this uh, maybe uh, you know, having, uh, well, the footballing world? Yeah, that's a very good question. I mean, as Cesar says, these are allegations, but we had a similar case in the past, you know, in the 19... 19- late 1980s 1990s uh, down in Colombia where entire teams were put on the Clinton list which meant that their assets were frozen which meant they couldn't buy or sell players they couldn't do any kind of uh, financial transactions with anyone around the world so these allegations are serious because the impact would be significant if this is true and the thing is the way the treasury department operates is that anyone who either gave money or received money from Marcus will be considered as part of this, um, will be part, will be basically considered of trading with someone accused of this, right? Of, uh, drug trafficking. Again, I want to say, really point out, this is, this, these are allegations. Um, the treasury department has put out this tweet saying, well, these are the, the targets. The, 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 these 22 Mexican nationals and Marquez's picture is on this this graph, but you know the impact of it would be enormous because it could potentially hit someone like his agents, Gesty Food, Mendes, and you know Jorge Mendes is the manager for Cristiano Ronaldo. It could hit his club because it could hit his sponsors, Coca Cola. There was a major article that came out in the Süddeutsche Zeitung that just. Um, not necessarily confirmed what what's going on, but basically said, well, this is the actual impact that this could have on football. Because remember, football is such a global business. Money is flowing in and out. There's agents involved. There's um, sponsors involved. There's various clubs involved. One of the things that we were talking about off the chat, right, Cesar, is the fact that he still plays for Mexico. Now, there's national team games in early September, and the FMF can't really call him up because if they pay him in any kind of sort of way and these allegations come true, they would be drawn into this investigation. Yeah, and I think because, I mean, we, we, were, we were touching about the talk about that earlier. And I think, uh, unfortunately, then you just have to question what is the future of his career. This isn't a young guy. This isn't a, a guy in his 20s. Rafa is 38 years old. You have to wonder if... I mean, he didn't play for Atlas over the weekend. There's, there's, you don't really know if he's going to play for them near future. You know, Mexico has got to start preparing for the World Cup next summer. So it's unfortunate in uh, all this timing just to wonder what this means for him. Like I said, he's a 38 year old man. You know, it's, it's going to be tough for him to try to bounce back from this. And that's something that I keep wondering. And I do wonder if, uh, 
if there's any potential for him to not only potentially announce his retirement from the national team, but just from soccer in general. Because this could draw out too, right? Something an investigation yeah. like that takes a long time. We're hearing about it now, but it's his targets and we're talking potentially years here. So you, you might be very well right because no one will want to touch him. That's the thing, right? Because you don't know. No one knows if he is involved. Is he not involved? What's happening with the money? Uh, you know, it's, it's it's a very difficult situation. Yeah, and it's it was fascinating to see uh, how the fans res- uh, responded uh, over the weekend with uh, Atlas's match uh, against America. I mean, you saw. I mean, there was video of uh, just like countless fans wearing Rafa's jersey, and of course, the big, big moment, the big talking point from that match wasn't the win for America. It was the fact that you know Atlas's uh, starting roster walked out onto the field with uh, Rafa's jersey. They all had the number four, and it was facing forward so everyone could see. So it was. Uh, I mean, it's. It, I mean, it just kind of highlighted the fact of just you know this. Like I said, once again, this wasn't just a, a random Mexican player. This is a Mexican icon, a guy who has won La Liga titles, Champions League titles. He's been a part and captain of four World Cups. He's been involved with the national team since 1997. So it's it's it, it's unfortunate to see. And regardless of whether the allegations are true or not, it just doesn't, you know, it doesn't really help, uh, you know, the perspective, the viewpoint of what the world, uh, of how the, uh, the world sees Mexican soccer. Yeah, the Süddeutsche compared him to Franz Beckenbauer. You know, they called him the the Kaiser yeah. of Mexican football, and I think that's a probably pretty fitting. Yeah, no, I mean they would call. I mean Rafa's nickname was El Kaiser, so yeah, I mean it's just. <laughs> yeah, so I mean it was just yeah. Like I said, it's it's unfortunate to see, and like well, and like you guys point out, it's it's not as if this is going to resolve itself quickly it's not gonna resolve itself uh you know within the next couple of weeks it's gonna take a while like that's just the assumptions that it's gonna take a while so i i can't imagine the national team's gonna call him up anytime in the near future and i can't imagine and i i don't know what's gonna happen with his sponsorships i know there is talk to potentially nike and gillette we're gonna we're gonna drop him so it's just I don't know, it's it's like i said unfortunate I've, I've used the word unfortunate about 12 times now but that's just it's the truth it's sad it's it, as a mexican national team fan as a fan of uh el tri it does uh it does really hurt to see someone like that you know someone who's so well respected someone who uh you know who's just once again just an icon for the national team and if if we're just to bring Ollie in on this, Ollie, you obviously watch games very closely. You know that that's your job. You know, look at stats and analyze. Um, you know, just how big an impact would this have on Atlas? Uh, do you feel? Uh, I mean, he's, he's had a very bright start to the season. You know, even at his age, uh, we've seen him put in a fantastic cross against Pumas you know, for the winning goal. But um, yeah, how much do you see this affecting Atlas? It'd be a massive impact. I think even at his age, at what thirty eight, he's still like the heartbeat of that team from the back, whether that's in defence, he'd come into midfield, spraying passes around, I mean, that assist he did was just unbelievable for, like, you don't expect that from Rafa Marquez, but that was sublime. It's just like, they call it, like they said, his nickname's the Kaiser. He, he he will be missed from that side. I mean, Atlas have a good squad. They'll have the players to, like, not replace him, but, like, sort of fill in for him. But I think if he's going to, if he goes out like this, It'll like impact the Atlas like morale. If, okay, you can't you can't say that was the reason they lost to Club America at the weekend, but just he obviously must be like a massive like voice in the dressing room. But, like not having someone here like Rafa Marquez is just going to really impact an Atlas. Maybe not like in the short term, but over the long term. Like if it, you think like if you say such a probably an icon now in Guadalajara that he would maybe they would want to keep him on there. Like he would move him moving like a the president. Obviously that's like talking years years, but like. He's such a like like say I said he's like such a massive name in Mexican football and in the world that for him to not have an impact on Mexican football with either Atlas or Mexico will just be devastating really. Yeah, I mean I've always felt I mean there's so much to be said about his leadership on the field, but I do like to say that I mean just talk about American football now and I feel like he's a quarterback. Yeah, you know, like he's just constantly spraying out those passes, whether they be short, whether they be long. You know, we we still know that he still has the ability to have those uh those extremely long, accurate passes. But he's just he's he tends to be whether it be for club or country, he tends to be the main distributor. He tends to dictate the pace of the game, and that's just going to be. I mean, just I mean, we talked about you know what he represents off the field, but on the field, it's still. I mean, despite the fact that he's thirty eight, he it's it's a huge, huge absence that Atlas is going to have. 
Oh, yeah. Um, may I just ask uh, Ollie and I'll bring Cesar into this as well. Um, for club and country, who'd be the, the main people to replace your player like on the pitch? I know it's hard to do, but is there anyone, well, especially for El Trey, is there anyone that can walk into that position or even close to walking into that position? I mean, I think it depends on what position you're talking about. We talk about Rafa Marquez, the central defender, because if we're talking about Rafa Marquez, the central defender, I think. Mexico's all right for now. We have uh, you have names like Hector Moreno, Diego Reyes, Nesto Araujo, who you know, although they may not have the leadership abilities that Rafa has, I think they are more than capable of you know stepping in as that central uh, defender. And I don't think he really was taking part in that central defensive role that much recently for three Anyways, I think that role that we were talking about is as that defensive midfielder, and that's a big uh, you know question mark for the national team because there are a number of talented options but they aren't just a true natural fit in that defensive midfield position I think Guardado is quite good I think I mean we all know about his excellent distribution but he doesn't exactly have the best uh, aerial game you know so I I worry about that Jonathan Dos Santos is another ideal option Hector Herrera is one that Mexico used semi-recently but it's just I don't know I I guess uh, luckily for uh, three I mean He'll be a huge miss uh, in the locker room and just for his leadership. But I think, I think at least on the field for the Mexican national team, I think uh, there are capable options of uh, taking over his role. And then with Atlas, I mean, you've got probably I think if he if at centre back, you've got you've got Leighton Jimenez. Okay, he's like out injured now. I think he's got like a cruciate injury, so he's out for a while. But apart from that, then you look into likes of like Ariola, who's 31, not great. You've got the youngster, Aguirre, I think that's how you name, who's 21. It looks decent, but apart from that, I mean, normally the, the back, to, the, if you're playing the fourth back, your two centre-backs would be for Atlas, Barrio and Marquez. And without Marquez, it just looks a little bit weaker. And if he was to be in like that defensive midfielder type role, you've probably either got like Javier Salas or Luis Robles Ramirez. But again, they're just not, they're not Rafa Marquez. Yeah, well, that's, I think uh, one of the guys uh, on your show, uh, Cesar, was saying that yeah, he, he looked almost like a 20-year-old a at moments at the start of the season. And yeah, he, he really had he had really hit the ground running, I think, this season. And it's uh, after recovering from back injury, it's, uh, it's a real shame on ma- many different levels. And as you said, I think the word is unfortunate, isn't it? But guys, uh, we'll move on. We'll leave uh, Rafa alone now. I'm sure we'll be talking uh, about it plenty in the uh, future i'm sure this one will drag out for a little while but um yeah um manu you were saying that we had a little bit of a question about uh liga mx and it being uh one of the best leagues outside of europe uh, what exactly was that question yeah it was um i recently did an article on carlos vela moving to LAFC, that move, we spoke about it last week, and that move will be completed in January. And, um, because LAFC currently doesn't, uh, play, right? They, they don't come into being until March. And, uh, in the article, I say basically, well, MLS was self-congratulatory about this move because it's another Mexican star signing for an MLS side rather than, um, you know, a Liga MX side, and the the other two examples being, of course, Giovanni and Jonathan dos Santos would sign for LA Galaxy. There's rumors about Chicharito. Um, MLS seemed very sure about themselves that they would get him too, but he ended up going to West Ham. So there's that. But I, I, I in the article said, well, I think, and I, you know, this is this is one thing that we want to discuss as well is that Liga MX is still miles ahead of MLS. I seen Tigers come up here not that long ago to play the Whitecaps and it, it was a different world, you know, in terms of professionalism, in terms of squad depth, it was basically a European side taking on an MLS side and the Whitecaps are a decent MLS side, you know, and it was, it was very, very different level of play. So I think that despite the fact that MLS can sign these megastars and they, they can do that. So you have players like, you know, Bastian Schweinsteiger making 4.5 million, but he plays in a side where, you know, his salary doubled the, the squad salary, the entire squad salary of the Chicago Fire. So he plays with players who don't make anything really. And that's, I think that makes, that's still the reality of Major League Soccer today that, you know, the, there is, uh, the, the, 
the average players only make a lot of money because there's players on that squad that make like maybe thirty to forty thousand, and then there's players that make millions. You know, so in, in Liga MX, I feel that the squad depths are more balanced, and you see that when they play against each other. You know, you see that Liga MX sides are more balanced; they have deeper squads, they are better prepared, they're more professional um, in terms of the way they play. So you see that, and I actually, when I watched Liga MX, and um, we talked off the pod, why I was attracted to Liga MX is because it, when I came to Canada from Europe, it was the closest thing to home. It was the closest thing in my time zone that resembled European football. And I actually believe that right now, and I mean right now, um, it's probably the best league outside of Europe. And I, yes, and I'm including that, the Serie A in Brazil, I include the Primera División in Argentina. And the reason I'm doing that is because Brazil had a major boom around 2014 when there was a lot of money in Brazilian football, mostly because of oil and gas, that they were able to bring stars back home. And the average salary in Brazil was higher than in, in Mexico. But the Serie A in Brazil is struggling. You know, they basically, they're losing not only players to Europe, but also to China. And I think that Brazilian football is in trouble. Um because of that. And the question that I was asked is, why do I think that Brazilian football is not stronger than Mexican football? And this was obviously a Serie A Brasileiro fan. And I think I actually like the Brasileiro. I think it's a great league. But I think that Liga MX is better because not only are they able to retain talent longer than Brazil is, but they're actually also able to bring in talent from all over Latin America and even Europe right now, which is not something that any other league in Latin America can do. And I think that makes it a stronger competition. The level of play is better. Um, unfortunately, we can't really compare it with Brazil and Argentina right now because there's no Copa Libertadores football for Liga MX sides right now. But I think that Liga MX sides would do very well uh, playing in the Copa Libertadores at that very moment. Yeah, I mean, you look at, I mean, if we're talking just what's on the field, I mean, is it the most entertaining outside of Europe? I mean, Probably. I mean, when you look at the, the league format, when you look at the parity, when you look at the playoffs as well, I mean, it just provides a highly unpredictable, uh, you know, attack-focused, uh, high-pressing style of play where every every match is highly significant. And you also got to talk about, you know, the attendance as well. You know, outside of Europe, there is no other league that has a higher attendance number than Liga Mekis. So if we're going to compare it to those South American leagues, Liga Mekis is still very, very high. I know we haven't been seeing the best attendance numbers recently from Puebla and Lobos Blop, but uh, you know, regardless of those two, you know, there is still um, a huge amount of support. And, you know, and it adds to that environment, that adds to that excitement when you're watching the games. And I, I guess the problem here is when people ask, you know, well, which league is better like which teams are better which league is better it's just and that's a little bit of a tough question just because i mean as you mentioned there is mexico is not taking part of the copa libertadores and then when you look at the history of the libertadores obviously mexico has never the league mexico's team has never won it yet um when you look at i know it's not the best way of uh comparing leagues but you know teams from south america tend to do better in the club world cup you know so it's it is interesting to note but yeah i mean if we're just talking about what's on the field you know what where you see week in and week out it's just it's hard to really compare uh any other league i mean if we're really going to go into it if we're just talking about the entertainment aspect aspect i mean to compare it to league of Mackeys. yeah and talking about those uh, attendance numbers i mean if we look at uh if we combine both these scenes um before and after christmas uh last year i mean there was over 8 million people attended Grind, you know, so you know that just demonstrates just how popular it is. You know, it's it's very popular, and yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with your comment saying that it's uh, the most entertaining uh, of the leagues outside Europe. I say it probably is. Um, I mean, that's what attracted uh, myself to it, and um, I know it's part of Ollie's job, but he absolutely loves the league as well for its entertainment and the way it's set up. Um, I also feel that um, you know, if you look at the likes of Gignac, I mean the. the the likes of Gignac going to Brazil, I, I just wouldn't see that happening. But uh, Liga MX, I mean, you get, you get um, obviously he's moved there. Uh, you get some, a few other Europeans uh, moved there. But I mean, Torres was even, there. Torres would not be like, uh, linked with your Brazilian sides. 
Yeah, so even just recently, we got to talk about Keisuke Honda, mm. who went yeah. to who, who's gone to Pachuca recently. Like exactly. that was even somewhat of a shock for the Mexican soccer world. No one really anticipated that. But yeah, he he fell in love with Pachuca's system. He he really liked what was going on on over there. And I know he hasn't made his debut just yet because of uh, injury problems. But yeah, Keisuke Honda is now in in Liga Mekis. And it's I think you know the other thing that you see is that. Um, we, we are really love Marco Fabian uh, on our gegenpressing part, but he didn't go over to Germany when he was 18, 19, 20, 21. You know how it is the case with a lot of Brazilians. They go over to Europe very, very quick and very early on. Even Chucky Lozano waited quite a long time, you know, by South American standards or Latin American standards. And I have the feeling that because of the financial power, and because it's actually an attractive league and a challenging league, players in Mexico tend to stay at home a little longer. And maybe that's actually something that's gonna, and, you know, benefit talent, Mexican talent in, in a way, because it gives them the room and time and the space to develop before they make that jump over to Europe. But it shows you a lot about the financial power of the league, you know, the, the fact that they don't have to sell abroad because they have the money and they can say, well, look, um, stay here another year so you can wait till you're mid-20s and then you can go abroad and you can make that jump. And I think that's that speaks volumes um, for the league and it also speaks volumes, um, you know, in terms of how competitive the league is. But then, you you know, you also get um, managers commenting um, or head coaches. Pep Guardiola, for example, learned a lot from Liga MX and a lot of what you see yeah. nowadays in, in his style of play. Um, has come from, from Liga MX because it's, it's such an attacking style of football. But what people don't, what people have to realize is that to play that kind of attacking style of football, you have to defend very well. You have to play the ball very nicely out of the back, right? To get that kind of football. And that's very hard. And, um, I think that is, that is something that Mexican football does very well. And it also speaks volumes that it gets executed so well on such a high level week in and week out. Yeah, and I know we're going to talk about this later, but especially when you see a side like uh, Monterrey, which is just dominating the league, and what they've done is they've just been so organized defensively. They've just done such a great job of absorbing pressure in this high-attacking league, and they're able to hit teams constantly on counters, and it's beautiful to watch. I mean, I got a chance to see it recently uh, over here in Tijuana. Uh, I mean, the Tijuana fans were not happy about it. You know, obviously, it was kind of a negative mood over here in the area because uh, Cholos lost. But it's just, I don't know, it was, it was just fantastic to see. But yeah, no, it's you know, as I mentioned, it's just yeah, it's an exciting high, you know, high pressing, you know, attack focused league. But at the same time, and I do, I do worry about um, the future of the of Liga Mekis. Um, I mean, I'm sure we could talk about it a little bit. Uh, you know, when you see players like. Dona Vela and Gio going to Major League Soccer, and the fact that you know, I think that uh, the team isn't—I mean, not the team—the league isn't really doing enough to really, I don't know, just promote itself outside of Mexico. I feel like it's been living in this tiny little successful bubble for so long, and it's difficult for people outside of uh, the country, especially if you don't speak Spanish, to really get into the league. I mean, and it's, it's what you see on the field is really exciting. But I mean, we talked about this before we started the show that one of you guys wanted to try to buy a jersey. <laughs> that is, you just couldn't do it. It's just like, and that's not that's not out of the ordinary. It's 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 crazy to see a team like Chivas, you know, arguably the most popular team. You know, up, it's up there with Club America. It's between those two, but a team like Chivas, when they you see countless Chivas jerseys out here in the United States, you see if Chivas play friendly out here in any stadium, especially you know close to the border in a major city, you'll see tens of thousands of fans. But they don't have an English account. There's nothing. There's nothing promotion-wise <laughs> in English. It's it, and I do worry about that in a growing demographic of a uh, out here in the United States, where you know you have Latinos, you have Mexican Americans like me who predominantly speak English, and we still have that connection to the team. But over time, will those fans who speak English in the United States, who are providing a lot of uh, attention to these Zegamakis clubs, if they're going to start paying attention to Major League Soccer instead? Yeah, well, guys, I'm just going to jump in here just because uh, Ollie, unfortunately, has to leave us uh, to work. But, um, yeah, I suppose he's got his earn his way. Uh, but, um, Ollie, <laughs> um, yeah, two questions before you go. Uh, first of all, uh, we predicted a few weeks ago 
uh, you and I that, um, and I think Cesar seen this as well, but I don't think he really agreed with us. Can't understand why. But um, uh, that Cruz, Azul, and Atlas would get to the uh, final. Still agree, Oli? Um, I might be waning from it just a little bit, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I can't ever understand why. Uh, but uh, but yeah, Ollie, um we always like to ask uh what um your game would you like to highlight this coming weekend uh, just before you uh, you head off. I apologize if I steal this from anybody, but for me they're both my sides and I'll be watching it, Tigra versus Pumas. Yeah. Nice. That's yeah, good. that'll be a good one. Yeah. Yeah, not not a bad choice at all, Ollie. But um, where can people find you online? Just before you duck out, or is there anything you'd like to draw people's attention to? Uh, you can find me at, at FR Football Ollie. Um, I mean, I'll be watching Copper MX tonight and tomorrow. I'll be tweeting about it if anybody wants to give a read. I mean, it's Copper MX, so not not everyone's that bothered. But <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll check in, Ollie. We'll show a bit of love and Thank support. Very much. <laughs> No, well, thanks, Ollie. Thanks for coming on once again and enjoy the games. My pleasure. Thanks very much. Cheers, Ollie. Bye. Thanks, Ollie. Yeah, so I must say, um, Cesar, that was me that would have liked to have uh, bought one of those shirts. Uh, but yeah, just can't seem That's to right. do it. And the fact I don't speak any Spanish probably doesn't help either. But we're not going to talk about that. Um, guys, uh, let's. Um, Let's talk a little bit um, more about uh, the link between the uh, MX and MLS. Uh, there was talk of a potential Super League. Uh, Cesar, is is this something that may actually happen? Uh, do you want it to happen? Um, yeah, give it. Give us your view on that. I mean, there have been talks uh, between league officials uh, over the past several months. I know uh, recently, uh, league officials from Mexico had a meeting. Uh, about a week ago, I think it had mostly to do with uh, Juan Carlos Osorio, but uh, according to reports, they did talk about the potential of a tournament with MLS and Liga Mekis. Um I would like to see it happen. I think it would be fascinating. I think it would uh, provide another opportunity for MLS teams to try to take on Liga Mekis outside of uh, the CONCAP Champions League or potential friendlies. My only question now is just, when would you schedule it? I think, ideally, I would have liked to have seen it in the second half of this year, but at the rate that we're going i don't know if we're going to see it this year so if it is next year when would it be because the concaf champions league starts in next february and i'm trying to and you got of course the world cup next summer i'm just trying to figure out when you would schedule that personally i would like to see uh perhaps uh see these uh, a handful of mls teams involved in mexico's Copa mekis i think that would add some uh, i mean you heard the way that Ollie was describing it. I mean, I feel the same way. I don't. I don't get excited about Copa Mekis until it's until it's reaching the late rounds. I'm not really that fascinated by the tournament. I still follow it because you know I have to, you know, and I should. So I like I try to catch as many games as possible. But I think it'd be cool to see uh, MLS teams taking part in the Copa Mekis. That would well, be a very I, good way to do it, actually. Yeah, because it has I, a I group think... stage and everything, right? Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah, and no one, and for the most part. People don't really care that much about Copa Mekis. And you'll see that with some some pretty poor attendances uh, for those games. And even, like I said, even me, like I, I love Liga Mekis. It's by far my favorite league. But I don't I don't think twice about that tournament. I don't really get excited by it until maybe, you know, the semis or the final. Well, that's I said to Ollie, um, who obviously uh, it's part of his job. You know, he watches it quite closely. But I, I said to him, you know, so... You know, do the uh, smaller sides, you know, lower down, do, you, do they you feel strong sides and, you know, fancy going a bit further in the competition? He said, no, really. He says that they rotate as well, which I, I couldn't believe. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the significance for them is just like they need to be focusing more on the league as well because it's difficult. It's extremely difficult to make it into Mexico's first division, you know, so that's the focus should be the league. It shouldn't really be about the Copa Mekis. No one really, like I said, no one really cares about it that much until possibly, you know, like I said, the semifinal or final. So I think that's that would be something interesting for for MLS to to go into. But like I said, I mean, I just don't know when they would schedule uh, this tournament. When I don't know if they could really have time to still still do something by the end of the year, or if they do something next year, uh, when would it be? When you have uh, the CCL, which starts in February, if I remember correctly. Yeah. February. Yeah. It goes straight to knockout uh, because it used to be group stage. Well, they, they, they sort of have like that 
the Caribbean teams are playing um, each other first, and they play for that's right. A f is it two final spots or three final spots that go straight into the into knockout stage? Um, I remember. Yeah. yeah, I can't 100% remember either, but basically they got rid of the group stage and, um, you know, let these, the smaller countries play each other first. And then the, the MLS teams, um, and the Liga MX teams enter the competition in, in February, which is awkward because, you know, MLS doesn't even kick off till March. I remember when the Whitecaps were in the, the round of 16 and then the, the quarterfinals. Um, they, they had that awkward situation that that was basically still preseason games for them. So it's, it's, I don't know, it's, I, I feel, I, I have such a weird relationship to the CONCACAF Champions League. I think any competition other than that one would be a good one, you know, to just bring it. I, there needs to be interleague play because that's what the rest of the world does. And uh, I, I always like the idea of maybe, you know, even playing the South Americans. Um, that's, that would be a good way to grow the league. I was, yeah. I was disappointed when Liga MX left Copa Libertadores because I, I personally really like that competition. I think it's a great competition and I would love to see the Copa Libertadores maybe even expand to include all of North America. I think that would be yeah. better. It'd be hard for travel, obviously, but I, I think you could do it. Um, you know, we're looking at the Champions League now. I, one of the previews I did is, um, The game that involves Astana, they're in Kazakhstan. That's 5,000 kilometers away from, from where Glasgow play. If they can do it there, I think you could do it in, in North America, North and South America as well. You regionalize it somehow and then have, uh, you know, a best of four tournament in, that's hosted by someone. Uh, you could easily do it, but I think, you know, there needs to be something that isn't the CONCACAF Champions League for, You know, to just to have that interleague play because MLS has a very similar problem than Liga MX does that it is kind of in a bubble. Um, it develops in this, this own bubble. It's, um, it's just doing right. And it's, it's getting better, but it's not, it doesn't have a benchmark. It doesn't know how to kind of get outside of to grow and to think outside of the box. And a lot of the coaches, they get recycled. So it's always the same kind of coaches in MLS. And I think. You kind of, you need that interleague competition in order for the sport and you to grow in your country. So I think some, something like that is needed. Well, that'd be really exciting if you could somehow do something to incorporate North American and South American sides. I mean, that'd be a huge undertaking. And like you said, the travel would be, yeah. would be ridiculous when you have uh, like New York City FC taking on some of those teams down there. But no, that would be, that'd be fascinating if that could actually happen. Yeah, Manu, you need to send them a polite letter, I think. Uh, get involved, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Good luck with uh, being on the board for that one. There has I been think, talk yeah. about it because I think Miami wanted to hold, host the Copa Libertadores final. Um, last year, there was a lot of talk about that. And then, then during the Copa Centenario talks, um, there was a lot of talk about possibly merging it. The problem was, of course, that everyone involved in the Copa America Centenario was also involved in a whole bunch of illegal stuff. You know, there, there was a point where that tournament was almost called off, right, Cesar? So, um, yeah, I, I think we have to wait and see. Unfortunately, when you talk, especially when you talk Brazil and Argentina right now, there's the people that are making the decisions um, are not always uh, the most transparent, uh, to use a polite term. There, we got to have like a Copa, Copa Libertadores Centenario, even though it started in what the, the late 60s, the 50s, I forget what, but uh, we got to have that, for, that form of a tournament in, uh, in the United States. You can have like a lot of uh, Liga Mekis and uh, South American clubs taking part. Yeah, that'd be amazing. 1960 yeah. was when it was founded. Just look. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> We've got a little while off yet. But, um, guys, let's talk about uh, Liga MX and match day four. So, um, yeah, we've we plenty to talk about, uh, plenty of entertainment as well. But I, I think we're, we're probably going to have to uh, talk about the team of the weekend. Um, Cesar, how good were Monterey? They absolutely had. Uh, Uh, demolished um, Chivas, didn't they? They took them apart. I know that um, Chivas went 1-0 up, didn't they? But, um, well, things uh, changed rather quickly, didn't they? Yeah, it's just, uh, you know, Mohamed, their manager, has done a just a fantastic job of just organizing the squad, sitting back and just hitting squads you know, on counters. And it's when you have players like Aviles Hurtado, Torlan Pavón, Rogelio Funes Mori, Carlos Sanchez, when you have those players pushing up the field when you have a player like Avilas with possession of the ball and just his incredible pace and creativity 
and it's, it's, it's difficult to defend against that. It's difficult when you do have a lot of open space against these high-pressing sides. We saw that, like I said, I saw that, uh, to bring up that, that Cholos game again, you know, that game last week, or I should say two weeks ago, uh, in which uh, Monterrey beat Cholos uh, 3 nothing. You know, Cholos had more possession. They had um, high-pressing fullbacks. But then as soon as Monterrey got the ball, they just had so much space, so much movement to go through. And it was just, they're efficient. They're just, they're organized, they're efficient, and they're able to hit these teams off counters. And it's a lot of fun to watch. And when you consider the talent of the team, when you consider, I don't know, just uh, how well uh, the back line is doing, uh, you got to say that they're currently, I mean, a lot of stuff can change. You never know what's going to happen. And we're only four weeks into the season, but I'm saying that they're, I mean, it's, they're, they're the title favorites right now. They're, they're easily the title favorites. Well, guys, if we look at um, Cesar, you make a great point there. If we look at the last three weeks, the most amount of possession they've had is 41%. They've had 41%. Yeah. We work in each week back 41%, 17 shots, uh, which was more than their opponents. Then the week before they had 39%. Percent possession, 17 shots. The weekend before that, when they played Veracruz, yeah, they only won one nil, but 34 percent of, of possession, 12 shots. I mean, being you know just um, on points, you know, they they seem to be stealing the ball and just able to move it so quickly and yet yeah, and effectively. Uh, I mean, it it just looked like every time they were going forward this week that they were going to get another one against Chivas and. Yeah, they just they seem re- remarkable just to watch, and they don't seem to need the ball, you know, uh, which is making it very entertaining. But um, you know, very very difficult to play against. I mean, they've only conceded one goal as well. Um, I mean, you do you see Cesar them being well more so the favourites than they were last year? I mean, last year they they were always kind of tipped to be there or thereabouts, but uh, I don't think anyone actually believed that they would win it. Where this year they're they're putting up a pretty good cause for why they should. They're not conceding and they're scoring goals. And yeah, as I said, they don't even need possession to do these things. Yeah, and I think a player like Aviles Hurtado um is 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 a key aspect of this uh style play. I mean we you know we talked about talked about this last time in the Mexican soccer show. You know, Tom Marshall brought this up, but I think it's it's a perfect example of what's working for them right now. And he, you know, he, Tom brought up the fact that, you know, they don't have Edwin Cardona anymore. Edwin's a brilliant player. He's powerful. He's explosive. And uh, when I play FIFA, he's one of my favorite players to be taking long shots. That's for sure. Well, he used to just <laughs> shoot from everywhere, didn't he? Which is entertaining, but madness at times. Yeah, I mean, it, but that was sort of uh, emblematic of uh, of Monterrey. And I think you still see that from them a little bit this season where the team loves to take shots from just, they love to take those opportunities. But Cardona is no longer there. He's now scoring in South America. And in his place, you have someone like Aviles Hurtado. Aviles has the potential to have, uh, you know, those powerful shots and whatnot, but that's not his specialty. His specialty is running with the ball. His specialty is just, you know, hitting these teams off counters with an incredible amount of pace. So it's perfect. It works it works beautifully with uh with Monterrey. And as long as they have uh, you know that as long as that front line remains healthy, as long as you still have Funes Mori, as long as you still have Dorlan Pavon, you know, he's obviously a key player within this squad. They I mean they should be fine. But yeah, like I said, it's just it's the organization, the back line and incorporating someone like Avilas in the roster. Manu, how do you feel about Monterey and just how powerful they are at the moment? Well, I was very surprised when they picked up Aviles because, you know, seeing what he did with Holos, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, Cesar, yeah. that was probably not a loss that you liked very much, but... Um, I think Cesar's hung up on us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, I'm not a Scholes. I try to be. I try to be unbiased. I don't try to support any Liga Mekis. I just support Liga Mekis. <laughs> okay, okay. Good choice, good choice. <laughs> uh, he's, he was... He's a player that I thought was tremendous the last year or so. And, um, to bring him in and, you know, to bring in Benitez as well and to just the depth that they have. Um, Furious Mona is, is, is a, was a fantastic player as well. And that, I watched that game against Chivas and I thought, wow, um, that, that was, that was quite a statement. And it's just the, the way they played it, the way they executed it. Uh, you mentioned those stats. Uh, I think that possession is highly overrated these days, you know, uh, especially when you play quickly forward. Um, the, the teams 
teams that have speed, speed seems to be the, the number one prerequisite these days in, in modern football that you're trying to, you know, gain possession and then quickly move the ball forward and hit play teams on counter attack. A lot of, a lot of Bundesliga sides, um, right now believe that really you should execute, um, an attacking move within 10 seconds because the, the moment you gain the ball, the, the opposition's opposition needs about 10 seconds to restructure or learn that the ball is gone. And, and Monterey are very good at this. And, uh, Chivas learned that the hard way because, you know, Chivas, it didn't look 4-1. Uh, bad, you know, they didn't look like a team that was defeated for one. You know, on paper they actually looked like a very a side that was holding it against Monterey. But it's just that they Monterey they're so good when they have the ball, when they get the ball, there's only one way, and that's forward, and that's really quickly forward. And I think, I think that they they will be thereabouts to win the title. Of course, um, we don't know what Tigres are doing. Uh, Tigres uh, have horrible regular seasons and then go and dismantle the whichever team they get in the first round no matter what because that i can't remember the, the aggregate was was it 4-1 on aggregate um against monterey in the in the Liguela, um in, in the clausura i think so if i ever correctly i think it was something along those and that was something they did in the previous season to pumas uh if i ever correctly that was where geniac just woke up i mean it felt like that no. was a theme with Tigres the past two seasons like you know what happened to them? Are they okay? And suddenly they just explode <laughs> during the yeah. during the playoffs in Ligia. So, yeah, no, that's definitely interesting. Worth yeah to know. I think it, that's really the the big thing, right? Playing great in the regular season. I mean, Holos is a great example for that because they were fantastic, and then they couldn't get it done in the in the Liguella. I think that's 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 the one thing that we have to keep in mind when you when you look oh, at yeah. these teams. Um, you might have someone finish fifth or sixth or just squeeze in and still win the title in the end of it end of the day and um that's that's i think the one of the biggest one of the reasons why we love this league and uh, the, um, the format although i know Cesar, you have some issues with the format but uh it makes yeah. it really exciting because we just don't know but um i i thought that monterey's performance against chivas was the most impressive performance i've seen on on this particular weekend yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that was uh, by far the best result. I mean, I think you could say um, maybe uh, Leon's uh, result over uh, Nekaxa was also impressive. I know uh, a couple of those goals uh, showed up late, but that was a, a statement from Leon. But uh, yeah, no, I think I have to agree that Monterrey's performance, it was a statement. And I think that was a, I, it was a statement uh, over the, I mean, that's something we have to mention too. It was a statement over the getting a win over the current title holders. I know Chivas aren't at their best. I know Chivas, uh, still have uh, some injury problems. You know, the Alan Bolido isn't in that front line, but uh, that was just a, a massive and significant win for them, uh, especially early on this season. And like I said, they just look like title favorites to me. Uh, uh, do, Cesar, do you think that it's just a matter of injuries that seem to be the uh, issue at Chivas? Or do you yeah, think I do th- think it's more than yeah. that. I mean, it's, I, I, I do think that... Um, I don't know it feels like the team is greater than the sum of its parts. You know, I think you got to have some hardworking players in there to really, you know, push out and get some results. Uh, but I do think like someone like Bolido is uh, a big factor that's missing. I do wonder about the status of Salcido, uh, Carlos Salcido. Um, he's he's not getting any younger. He's looking quite slow. He's looking like a a liability in that starting 11. So I do wonder if he'll, if he'll get pushed out of the starting 11 and if that would then help. Uh, maybe if you have someone like, uh, you know, maybe Brizuela, once he's back to full fitness, once you have Michael Perez, uh, another defensive midfield option, if he can work and in, uh, come into the starting 11, I'm not going to say that they're title favorites. I don't think that they're going to be pushing for a title. I do think they're going to make the top eight, but yeah, I'm, I'm giving this team some time because there are a couple of players too. I see a few players who were involved in uh, a busy summer uh, last month with the with the Gold Cup as well. Yeah, most certainly. We know how busy just El Tre were this summer. They were almost turned into a club side, didn't they? Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, we're going to talk about um, America. They they seem to be uh, sorting themselves out after a bit of a uh, slow start, will we say. They they lost their opening game, didn't they, to Querétaro? But um, Piojo seems to be uh, 
a, a good fit there. He, he seems to be doing well in his second time round. Um, Manu, uh, do, do you think that? Um, well, do, do you think um, he's 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 managing to get the best out of the players there? And do, do you think this is going to make them a possible contender? You know, for the for the title. Well, they had that really disappointing clausura, right? And uh, after coming so close to win the operator, uh, I, I I think you know for some reason that there seems to be this aura that they need this massive rebuild when they're really still a massive club. But um, I, I, something something went wrong with them uh, in the second half of last season, and I, I just I, it's highly hard to put your finger on. And Herrera just seems to come in and. Um, they get, he's getting the results. Although the, that Atlas game against Atlas, uh, that was the first game without Rafa Marquez. And, you know, Cesar mentioned earlier in the pod how that seemed to have played such a big role, you know, with the, the shirts, uh, the Marquez shirts being worn by all the players. And so you wonder, but, you know, he's getting his results and he is a top manager. And, um, we, again, we'll talk about Holos in a moment, but he's, basically one team that he left is in big trouble and the team that he's joined is looking very solid. So, they, you know, obviously he's doing something right. Yeah, and I do think, uh, talk about Sholos again, uh, can't help but talk about Sholos matches because I watch him <laughs> every week. But there's another player from Sholos uh, who moved uh, to another team, uh, a key player for this, like Guido Rodriguez, who's now with America. And I think that, I think he had a fantastic game for them in the midfield um, when I got to see him over here in Tijuana, he was just, um, I always said that uh, he, he does the work of two defensive midfielders, like in a starting 11 where you would need two defensive midfielders. He does the work of uh, those two, but just with by himself, he, he does an incredible amount of tackles, interceptions. I know that the problem with him, and that's something that I, we saw already this season, which I saw in Tijuana is that, he tends to get a, a far too many yellows. I know he already got a red so uh, early on the season, but I think that's a key player in this America side. I mean, you put him there. You have Edson Alvarez working with him. You have Cecilio Dominguez, you know, who is a uh, you know America's uh, new exciting attacker. I mean, he he wasn't at full health uh, last season. I think that hurt the team, but he's he's doing incredible now. And I think uh, you have Barchesin in net, who I think is. Um, Arguably, Liga Mackey's Liga best uh, goalkeeper, and then also Paul Aguilar, uh, you know, uh, national national team right back. You know, he's still got to provide some regular performances, a little bit more, perhaps more assists before he gets a little bit more attention. But I wouldn't be surprised if uh, America's right back uh, returns to the national team and the call up uh, that should be coming out within a, a week or two uh, for the September World Cup qualifiers. So I, I, it's promising for America, and I think it's promising when you have a leader like Biojo, who is just, if there is a manager that represented America, it is Biojo. You know, this team that has a, the an unofficial hate me more motto, you know, that's what, <laughs> that's what Biojo is, you know, just, I mean, you, when I say the word Biojo, there's a certain image that comes to mind of him just like flailing his arms and yelling and wearing his heart on his sleeve. And the fans love that the team, he's just, he's another, and he's, and you see um, trainings with the team. When you see him, like when I, saw him uh, you know with the national team he just looked like one of the guys you know he's like joking like hanging out with them just kind of like i think i don't know pe- people love the guy and i think he's going to be a he's a significant uh, addition to the to uh, america this season well I, I think a lot can be said for man management you know and getting the players to trust you and believe in you and i think he's one of those managers isn't he that he can come in and you know even get players to uh play better be, you know, because um, of his personality, you know. Uh, of, of course, his personality can get him in trouble sometimes, but you know, <laughs> that, 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 le- that leaves it uh, entertaining for the rest of us, I suppose. Yeah. But um, yeah, yeah, it, it only feels right, uh, uh, Cesar, you're, you're not a supporter, we've just said, uh, but you do uh, follow uh, Jolos uh, quite closely. Uh, what, what exactly is going on with uh, Tijuana at the moment? Well, right now the problem is is that uh, you it's it, it's just it's a completely new team, you know. Uh, you know, Bioko leaving alone would be significant for the roster. I mean, but there are also key players that left yet, and players who are not only starters but just like 
you know, some of the best players in Tijuana's roster. You had Aviles Hurtado. We already talked about it. We had uh, Guido Rodriguez, which I just chatted about his, you know, his role as a defensive midfielder who did the role of, like, two defensive midfielders. You had Milton Caraglio, you know, their their target forward, their, their true number nine up there who just kind of held the ball and pro- provided passes. He's gone now. Paul Ariola uh, also left recently. He's now with D.C. United, um, and he was – Shows his most exciting and agile, you know, right winger available. Um, and then also a promising defender called Carlos Vargas, who's now sitting on the bench uh, in, in Club America. So you have those players gone. You have a new manager, uh, Eduardo Chacho who has never coached in Liga Mekis before. And I mean, it's just, it's honestly not that surprising to see them struggle, to see them um, struggling with chemistry. When I talked to Paul Riola, actually, you know, a few uh, little little under a week before he left for DC United, you know, I was talking to him about the team and, you know, he just said that, you know, the team just doesn't have that much chemistry. It's because the team is still trying to, you know, find its rhythm, find its style because everyone expected them to hit the ground running after finishing in first place for two regular seasons in a row, you know, and it's, and it's going to be difficult for them to recreate that when it's just an entirely new squad and the new manager on the sideline. So I guess that the big question going forward is just how, you know, when when is when is the when are things going to start to finally click for Chacho Codet, who has a playing style which has been described as aggressive and energetic and high pressing? When are we going to see that? When are the players going to kind of work into that system? And at what point are Schultz going to get a win as well? You know, they they just scored their first goal of the regular season uh, against Puebla uh, last Friday. You have a big game coming up too against Santos Laguna on Friday. Yeah. That's, that's going to be really hard. I mean, then, you know, seeing Santos Laguna, Santos Laguna did not impress me last weekend, but, you know, they're such a dangerous side always pretty much. And, um, I, I wonder if, you know, if that's how long do you think do, do they, will they give their manager time to, you know, fix all the problems that you mentioned? I know that's that's a that's a good question. Also, I don't I don't know I don't know how much patience they're going to have uh, with Codet. You know, I mean the the players have stressed that there needs to be more patience, uh, and also Codet has mentioned that the team still needs time to adjust. But you just don't know what ownership is thinking at this point, and that's just going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, you know, within the next um, you know next couple of months, because it's he, he's. He desperately needs a win. I do think that Scholz can get a win against Santos Laguna uh, this Friday, um, in which uh, I call the, I'm now calling it the English language content classical because uh, only Santos and Scholz are the teams that have uh, English language uh, Twitter accounts in Liga Mekis. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Manny yeah. and I found that Scholz uh, won and we, we were very excited. Yes. Yeah. No. Yeah. Cholos and yeah, Cholos and Santos are the only ones in uh, Mexico's first division who have uh, official English language accounts. But yeah, shout out to those two teams who are obviously uh, know that there's a huge amount of potential, uh, especially a lot of uh, outreach they could do through that. But but anyway. But yeah, I, I do think that uh, things are slowly, gradually starting to click uh, for Cholos. I know last week's result was, I mean, I was just dull. It looked like I was watching a second division match at times. But uh, I do think that when you have someone like Gustavo Bo, when he finally found the back of that, everyone kept asking and I kept wondering when he was going to score. I do think that's going to provide him with a little bit of confidence, especially since it looks like he is Sholos' key guy in the attack. I do think that's going to help. Um, and I also do think that uh, uh, that might be working with a 4-3-3 instead of a 4-4-2. I just wasn't convinced. By Scholes working with a four four two, which he seems to like, but I think this will be better. But yeah, we'll see. I do think Scholes will get a win, but it's obviously it's not it's not going to be easy against the Santos Laguna side that has um, some you know, ex- some exciting players themselves. Yeah, I just hope that he's give the uh, the time there to uh, pull it around. But um, I suppose time will tell. Uh, guys, we've more or less uh, ran out of time. It's it's been a fantastic uh, podcast this week. Uh, I should say, as always, really. But, um, yeah, it's been uh, great having uh, Cesar on. But, Cesar, we always um, asked uh, each one of us uh, just to pick a game in the uh, coming week, uh, just to highlight, and just very briefly why you'd like to highlight that, especially for anyone that's maybe just picked up the podcast first time, just wants to get into Liga MX, what game should they tune into and why? You know, I would say Lobos Bot versus America. 
but uh, that Might doesn't look like that. <laughs> yeah, it looks like as of now, that game is not going to be televised. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so we'll have to we'll have to see what the result is like online, just because uh, no one's gonna be able to see that other than the people who are actually. Uh, in Puebla. I do have to agree uh, with what Ollie said earlier. I think Thigris versus Pumas, that's a match to watch. I mean, Thigris, uh, we didn't really get a chance to talk about them too much, but you know they're arguably the most talented team in Liga Mekis, and it's interesting to see them go with such uh, a strange formation for Liga Mekis. It's, it's almost like a it's like a it's like a backline of three, one defensive midfielder, and just like everyone else is pushing forward. They attack just because Thuka has so many attacking players to try to work with. So I'm interested to see if he still has that backline of three players. And then with Bulmas, uh, although the team um, isn't exactly the most exciting, I do think they currently have the most e- efficient striker in the league. I'm talking about Nicolas Castillo, and I'm I, it's always a thrill to see him play just because uh, I don't know he is uh, the key player for Bulmas, who is just I think he is probably the leading candidate to be finishing as a leading goal scorer uh, in the regular season. So it's going to be fascinating to see that. And also just because if you want to get a true example, if you want to get a true, I know, match to really see what Liga Mekis is about, it's going to be exciting. You, you have to watch that that match because in Tigres' uh, El Volcan, as they call their stadium, you're just going to see a packed house with tens of thousands of fans and you know some of the most passionate fans in Mexico. So if, if you want to see something from like that kind of showcases uh, you know, the fandom uh, of Liga Mekis. That'll be a perfect one. Um, any home game with Tigres is just, it's its incredible to watch. Yeah, he definitely sold it well, Cesar. And I think we could all agree that that was probably the uh, game to watch this weekend. But uh, Manu, uh, do you want to have a go at pegging another one? Yeah, you guys all stole my sandwiches. <laughs> 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 well, I, I want to pick out actually the uh, the Friday game, which I assume you're going to be at, Cesar, the, the Tijuana yes, Santos Laguna. I'm I'm curious to see if uh, if you're right and how Holos are going to get their win. So I'm going to definitely tune in on that one. So I would suggest everyone else should do do the same. And then, uh, yeah, you're right. Tigris fans, they're amazing. Even when here up in Vancouver, which is a long trip, they were here and uh, they had left. They have amazing atmosphere. So um, that's a good one to watch. And Castillo... Bryce, you know this. He's my favorite player in the league, so it's a good reason. To, it's always a good reason to watch him. I know we're really short on time, but um, can you guys uh, say uh, or predict how long can Pumas hold on to him? I mean, he's fantastic, isn't he? But Pumas yeah. have not really been performing very well. I don't know, but it's, the difficult thing is, is if Pumas let go of him. I mean, just everything might crumble <laughs> within that that team. I feel like he's the reason he's the reason that's that Paco Valencia is still in charge of uh, that team because it's clear that a lot of fans are not happy uh, with uh, the current management. So if they do let him go, it's going to be for quite amount of money. But I, I don't know, just with the weight, rate that he is scoring, it does seem inevitable. And you have a player like that scoring that he's going to be uh, that some European teams are going to be interested. Yeah. Europe in the winter, sadly. There you go. Yeah, quite possibly. There you go. But um, yeah, I suppose, um, well, I don't really know what game to pick out now. You guys have uh, picked um, some fantastic fixtures. I suppose you could look at uh, Cruz Azul might get back to winning ways, taking on Atlas without uh, Rafa Marquez. Uh, they're one of the two sides, along with uh, Monterey, to still be unbeaten. Unbelievably, yeah, that's Cruz Azul. Um, yeah, crazy. Uh, but uh, Toluca, Nakaxa, I think that could be an interesting game as well. I think, uh, well, Especially uh, Nakaxa, I think they're uh, they've been punching above their weights, uh, you know, this the start of the season, and they lost this weekend. But maybe uh, maybe uh, it'll be a bit, bit of a battle against Toluca, and they can get back to winning ways as well. But um, yeah, I don't know. There's many a good games to watch, if I'm honest. Um, just before we wrap up, I'd like to just say a well done to uh, Chucky Lozano. Uh, he uh, had his first game for PSV uh, this weekend. Uh, managed to score one, got man of the match, but really could have scored three. What a start for him. But guys, we're going to have to uh, wrap this up. Uh, Cesar, what would you like to plug? Where can people find you on the likes of Twitter or anywhere else online? Yeah, sure. You can uh, you, uh, do most of my ramblings slash uh, just random post on Twitter. It's just at Cesarich Football. So that's my first name, C-E-S-A-R-H-F-U-T-B-O-L. Uh, on that, I yeah, I contribute uh, to the Mexican Soccer Show every Monday. I usually at least have about a one article a week for ESPN. Uh, there should be one right now about Mexico, like 
Mexico hot list. Uh, I occasionally write for 442 USA, um, Footmex Nation. I, I do lots of contributions for them. And then for Soccer Nation, uh, that's a San Diego website. Uh, I, I do. That's where I do most of my Sholos coverage. So if you guys want uh, anything regarding Sholos, I mean, every game, every match. Today's Copa Mekis match. Uh, I'll be doing a lot of work for them as well. Fantastic. It's been an absolute privilege having you on. We hope we can get you on again soon, to be honest. Uh, Manu, uh, what have you got to plug quickly? Where can people find you online? Yeah, the, the obvious on uh, Football Grab Live. Europa League, Champions League previews, they are all out. So um, go over there, check that out. And uh, Bundesliga, Friday. Um, we'll full-time back in action for that. So preview will be out on Bayern, Bayer Leverkusen, I believe Thursday. So uh, we're going to give that a plug. And then we have our Liga MX game of the week that we have over on Football Sidasha. So I'm going to do a preview on that as well. They can all be found at Football Grad Live. That's it. Now I've even got back into writing uh, this week as well, writing a uh, Cologne uh, preview um, ahead of the Bundesliga season. So maybe check that out on uh, Football Grad as well. I've been your host, Bryce Dunn. You can find me on Twitter at BryceDunn11. Uh, that more or less does it. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, Manu, have you got something to say before we go? Uh, golazo! Good stuff. Okay, enjoy the weekend and we'll speak to you again next week. Imagine if you could dry, detangle, style, and volumize your hair all in one step. Well, it's easy with the Not Doctor All-in-One Dryer Brush by Conair. Create beautiful blowout styles at home with a powerful 1,000-watt motor for quick drying and easy glide Flexalite bristles for snag-free detangling. Customize styling with three heat settings and use the cool shot to lock in your look. Ionic technology reduces frizz, bonus attachment volumizes your hair, makes a great gift for yourself or someone special. Go to Conair.com for the Not Doctor All-in-One Dryer Brush now. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Saving money on exterior wall lights. Now at Menards. Find your style with Patriot Lighting. Exterior lights enhance the look of your home. Choose from over 50 options from Patriot Lighting. Now through May 19th, get $10 instant savings on a single qualifying purchase of $100 or more on in-stock outdoor wall lights. Check out our entire selection of outdoor lights and see the rest of our deals happening now on Menards.com. Save big money.